0: You're listening to Drinking on the Job, D-O-T-J. I'm your host, John Coyle. Drinking on the Job is a toast to the culture of food, wine, and all things fermented. We'll be talking with winemakers, musicians, artists, late-night bartenders, scoundrels, and more. It's time to grab a glass before it's last call. Robin Robinson joins me to discuss his book, the complete whiskey course a comprehensive tasting school in 10 classes which is a must have for anyone even remotely interested in whiskey voted best whiskey book of all time class starts now Man, oh, man, it's a cold, rainy day, and we are drinking scotch and whiskey with Robin Robinson, author of The Complete Whiskey Course, a comprehensive tasting school in 10 classes. This is the best book on whiskey ever written, and it covers all aspects. It's history, it's fun stories, it's suggestions for what you should try, and man, it is so much fun. Thank you, Robin, for being on. Oh, my pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great. Cool. I love the fact that it's 10 classes. Um... And and it really breaks down all the different uh, whiskeys. But before we really get into it, you brought one, uh, so we should do a dram.
1: I oh yes, one. Well, we should definitely we, uh, start this thing kick out, this out here. Yes. Yeah, so, mm-hmm. um, what we're going to be drinking here? Okay. Let me hand okay. you the glass. Sure. Thank
0: you so. Is <clears throat>
1: so this is what is known now, um, post two thousand nine, as a blended malt mm-hmm. Scotch whiskey. Right. There are five categories of whiskey in Scotland. One of them is blended malt. One of them is blended scotch. It's two different animals. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. What this means, it's a blend of just single malts and no grain whiskey. Right. And we can get into that if we we want to a little bit later Mm -hmm. on. This was made by uh, the company that actually got me um, invested into the liquor industry as a professional. It's called Compass Box, uh, owned by uh, a man named John Glazer, uh, an American, Okay. Um, who uh became uh, I think the sort of the, the um what would you call that, the enfant terrible of uh oh. of, of blending uh, blended Scotch whiskies. Uh he went after blending Scotch whiskies from a completely artisanal perspective, um and none of the commercial ways that Scotches were blended back in the sixties and seventies and the eighties and nineties. Um and consequently, uh, has really built um, uh, quite a, um, a reputation in the whiskey industry. <laughs> this is called Eleuthera. And what's so beautiful about this. It smells great. It is gorgeous. It is a blend of only two single malts. One of them is called Kalila.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And Kalila is a distillery on the Isle of Isla. And what's famous about this whiskey is that he had to discontinue it. And it kind of gives you an idea about the integrity of small whiskey makers. He discontinued it because he essentially is buying barrels from Diageo, the big whiskey company that owns all of these um, distilleries. And at the time, he was because no one was interested in Scotch whiskey at the time. He was able to buy the choice honey barrels. Specifically, there were first fill ex American oak barrels. The liquid coming out of them were just absolutely phenomenal. And what what, what year are we
0: talking? In the sixties now, or?
1: Oh no! He, no. This is in the two thousands. Oh, okay, okay, but these okay. were these were distilled in the seventies okay, and, right. and and in the eighties. So they're somewhere about you know anywhere south of twelve. You know maybe twenty years. Right. He is purchasing these barrel by barrel to make these small batches of whiskey. And at one point, he couldn't get the quality of the barrels that he wanted. And hmm. instead of substituting it with an inferior whiskey, he discontinued the whiskey.
0: No, yeah, and assume. so this
1: is sort of like one of the great unicorns uh, wow. in the whiskey well, world. He has, he has so, supposed to drinking a unicorn whiskey. Cheers! Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I love your book. You have a, a title that says "Whiskey is the New Black." Mm-hmm. So we're we're into the whiskey boom, right?
1: Yeah, we are we are well into it. Yeah,
0: I love I love the um, story in the book that you you kind of put a timeline together, which I never thought of. Uh, Nineteen seventy six, the Paris famous Paris wine tasting, where yeah. American wines outshine wines from France and around the world, and all of a sudden, uh, craft beer follows, and then the spirit boom starts to happen because all of a sudden, the U.S. is on the world stage, and there's the, the the whole global. Ideology changed, like the United States can make great wine, they can make great spirits, they make great craft beer. Yeah. Uh, well, well put in the book. It's something I never thought of.
1: Well, you know, because uh, I was there for that. Um, mm. When I first got into the restaurant industry, I was a kid. And at that time, there were only wines, and mm. the only wines were French wines. Right. Um, yeah, and uh, even as a professional, as I got older, <clears throat> excuse me. Uh, even as a professional, as I got older, and I was uh, hired as a wine steward in a restaurant. There were no sommeliers back then, but right. I did I did wear a Teste vin. vin, oh. which is that little um, – <laughs> d- yeah, I know. And I, let me tell you, I got called out on it one night by right. an actual Chevalier du Teste <laughs> You know, I had no idea that you actually had to earn that thing. I just thought it was just some decoration that says, hey, I'm the wine guy. Yeah. You know. But um, back then, I mean, I had an Alexis, Alexis Lachine book and a Frank Schoonemaker book on uh, wine.
0: Old school wine. Old books. school wine,
1: yeah. and you know they had two pages on California. Right. Yeah. You know? yeah. Yeah. So what happened was California makes this wine, and what we learned from California wine was wine was about varietals. Hmm. You see. Mm-hmm. So we learned how to say, you know, um, Sauvignon and Merlot, right. you know, and Zinfandel.
0: Right. <laughs> right.
1: <clears throat> Just like we butchered you we know, we, Forever. Pouille Fousé. Yeah, yeah. Know, right. Yeah. Um, and then the craft beer, well, what followed that uh, right after that. And then whiskey started to come in, especially Scotch whiskey, because what we learned from wine is that there was a specificity of the grape, Right, and that was a specificity of the vineyard and the area, and then Scotch followed through with saying, "Yeah, well, there's a specificity about malts, not blends, right. where you don't learn any specificity." So it just made sense that all of that was, you know, uh, was dependent upon each other before we got to like the whiskey boom.
0: Yeah, because I, I love the book because um, you. you if you're a complete novice, you can pick it up. And uh, I'm a history fan. The amount of history that's packed in—I yeah. uh, told you earlier—we could sit and talk about Irish whiskey for an hour or two hours, yeah. Scotch whiskey for hours, Japanese. So um, the book is just loaded with such great information. Not boring, really exciting about revolution and taxes, and but also distilling, and it goes into the science of distilling, and you start to understand what whiskey's about. You have a great thing that we'll touch on about how to taste. Whiskey, which is, you know, you don't really see uh, yeah. often. Um, but uh, but I love the first question from a novice. She always says in the book, is like the, the novice always says, is scotch, bourbon, and rye whiskey? Yeah. Right? Because right. that's the most confusing no one thing knows. for a lot of yeah. people, right? Sure.
1: And, I mean, I, uh, two, two nights ago. Right. Two nights ago, um, that question came up. You know, and I was out with people who are not in the industry and look at whiskey Um, uh, as any other commodity out on the market, um, it just gets here in a bottle, and I enjoyed it. I have no idea what the ride was from here to there. Um, and yeah, so it was kind of like, oh wow, really? So, scotch is a whiskey, yeah, and bourbon's a whiskey, yes, they are both whiskeys. Yeah, here's the org chart, you know, yeah,
0: Yeah, but but your book does again such a, a masterful job, thanks, of really just enlightening and not a highly academic or preachy or arrogant way that was just really granular beautiful that was
1: completely on purpose um i had put it in my contract that i wanted to have the last voice i'd been teaching whiskey classes actually i taught the longest running whiskey class in the united states over here at Astor center in new york city 11 Mm -hmm. years Mm -hmm. you know i was out in the street um, educating um, – uh, b- uh, when I was with Compass Box, I was educating buyers and um, retailers right. and uh, uh, salespeople and consumers. And what I learned from when I was in the tech industry is you have to be very, very specific as to what the ear is yeah. as opposed to where the mouth is positioned, because <laughs> most of us who just talk for a living, it's all about the words that come out of our right. mouth, and it's in. It, this is a sale. Yeah, I need to actually get this into your head, so I have to understand where your ears at. So uh-huh. that does not allow for acronyms and right. um, talking above people, and it, sure. it, it's all about straight communication.
0: But also to to the point of the book, there are so many interesting stories yeah, like really interesting sure story that, that takes yeah. into geopolitical things that are happening in the country and wars and revolution and taxation and i mean every aspect is covered and then you have an amazing selection of like you should try this uh, whiskey if you're interested in this you should try this bourbon yeah. if you're interested in this yeah. so i would like to break down a few of the building blocks of, of flavor and we'd yeah. start with like why does abv matter the alcohol matter yeah. Why is that so important?
1: Um, well, there's a couple of reasons. You know, there's some science, and, and a lot of it is um, um, custom. Mm-hmm. And uh, and custom typically gets um, uh, put into law. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Um, but there—and um, and custom comes just from tradition. This is the way my grandpappy made it, and, you know, this is the way we're going to do it. So— um, ABV is what carries the fats. So when you think about what is distillation, we are taking a a beer mash, yep. in, in in the case of whiskey, a beer mash, and we are purifying it. And uh, through that purification, we are um, heightening the amount of alcohol. Right, and that alco- those uh, ethanol vapors are carrying with the, the, with them these long string molecules of what we know as congeners, which okay. is just you know um, uh, groups of molecules that we can uh, recognize as taste or smell. Right, and um, and so over the years, um, uh, different countries and different laws were put in place. The, probably the first one was the British. Um, in the nineteen, uh, actually in the eight, I think in the late eighteen hundreds, when they were trying to define like a pure food and drug act right. that we had passed in nineteen oh six, and each one of those then you know starts getting much more and more definite about what is the actually alcohol volume. What we've settled on is forty percent alcohol minimum in a bottle for it to be legitimately called a spirit. In the United States, okay, and then above that, it's you're on your own. You can go all the way up to um, uh, uh, cask strength. In the still, that's another specificity because at ninety four point eight, at ninety four point eight, above that, all of the flavor of the grain goes neutral. And that's
0: vodka. Vodka. And that's vodka. Yeah, Yeah,
1: that's grain neutral spirit. (laughs) So, by law, whiskey has to be distilled lower than that. And then in bourbon, they actually set a ceiling of 80%. Okay. Yeah. Very so important. yeah, uh, the more alcohol that's in there, um, the more the flavor, the fats will carry. Right. Um, but then there was a point in which there's a point of no return. Sure.
0: Alcohol yeah. has nice tension too. it. Also adds tension on the palate. It right? does. Oh, that's yeah. a great way to right. describe yeah. it.
1: Does it? Does yeah. Because yeah.
0: wine has that very similar high alcohol wines. People go. Oh, this is interesting. High alcohol, but the alcohol adds a, a texture that's not. You know, that's not there unless you hit a certain alcohol. Yeah. Right. Um, Let's talk about the power of water. Yeah. I mean, because lots of, you know, will people brag about, well, it's this spring and it's from this well. (laughs) And like, (laughs) I don't know how much of that is just bullshit or or is there – I mean, of course, there's a certain mineral deposits that are in some water, streams or rivers or, or, you know, but – Let's uh, t- t- touch on the water. Well, thing. For, for,
1: for any fermented beverage, so flavor gets created uh, in whiskeys at fermentation. Mm-hmm. That's where flavor gets created. It's so like in wines; that it's all about. It's all about the fermentation, right? right. That's where the flavor gets created. Um, what the water does is, well, it does different things for fermentation. It allows different things to happen during fermentation. So, if you've got soft water that is low on minerality, there are certain um, um, congeners that are going to develop in there that will develop differently if it was a high a hard water with a high mineral content. Mm-hmm. So, Essentially, you, marketing people grab onto that because they do one tour through the distillery with sure. the the, the you know, oh water, okay, water's important, so let's write all about water right. tell me more about water, and then they start taking it further and further out of context right. and now it's really all about our waters kind of like so, yeah. oh my God, you know well, they I'm want just... to
0: separate themselves from the pack and they'll do anything they can to separate themselves from the pack exactly right, yeah. right. Yeah. It, well yeah. it,
1: it is and it, it's all about delicious whiskey uh, yeah, isn't a fabulous right, you. Know? Um, it is all about, mm-hmm. um, you know. It, it, hey, come on! It's a, it's a commercial beverage. We have to, you know, find ways to to sell it. Um, so, you know, the high the high um, um, calcium water that's down at Jack Daniel's that they that they talk about the low mineral water uh, in Abelauer and Glen uh, Glenlivet up mm-hmm. in one area of Scotland they talk about a lot. Closer to where that water is really going to have any type of effect on taste mm-hmm. is going to be at the dilution level, mm-hmm. when they actually take it out of the barrel and are ready to bottle it, and it comes out of the barrel at sixty percent or fifty-five, fifty-nine percent, and they got to get it down to something that someone will drink in a bottle. That's going to be between forty and let's say forty-three or forty-six. Right. Then they're going to use that same water. The um, bad news or the good news. Is that most of the water is deionized and most of the water is um, filtered, because water carries the biggest um, chance of having something go wrong.
0: Huh.
1: Water is has been for the entire time of human civilization our nemesis. It's what that's why we developed fermented sure. things like wines to get potable, something potable. Uh, right, like something yeah, right. potable, something right. actually had a little bit of antiseptic in it, right that would actually kill the um, you know the the bugs that we you know, that were festering upstream mm. So um, um so at one point, um, uh, they'll, they'll, when they when they put the water in, the water's going to be there and it'll flavor it a little bit at that point, you know um, but now, of course, you know the big trend right now is actually getting it cast strength. Um, hmm. uh, ca- cast strength uh, uh whiskeys right now
0: you know that's the higher alcohol the higher proof
1: no that's much yeah, yeah. so yeah. it's like you know uh, it, so there's typically a like an American whiskey there's a, a top level of sixty two point five percent so the the liquor uh the, the the spirit can't go in that barrel any higher than that and they set that as uh, they said that about maybe 50 years ago, and there was a couple economic reasons, and there were a couple, um, I, I guess, organoleptic reasons, but they were smaller because there was no science about it back then. And um, and so it, it doesn't go any higher than that. So it's going to get lower over time. In some cases, it may even go higher huh. um, depending on where it's in, in the okay. warehouse.
0: So let's talk about grains. What do they impart? So we're looking at corn, rye, uh, which mm-hmm. is predominantly bourbon, I think, right?
1: Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, corn is uh, uh, bourbon is predominantly corn.
0: Okay, Okay. so by law, okay, Okay. yeah. Um, so let's talk a little bit about the grains and what what those will impart.
1: So they all bring a specific um, flavor style to them. One of the reasons bourbon doesn't want it distilled any higher than eighty percent is they want you to taste that corn. Mm -hmm. It's supposed to be sweet. Yeah. Okay. And that was the whole sweet liquor mash that came from the seventeenth, I mean the eighteenth century, all the way through the nineteenth century. That eventually developed itself into what we know as bourbon. Um, but it was just sweet corn mash. And um, so, yeah, so that's what corn brings. Corn brings, and I often describe it, sometimes you can taste it. It's like biting into uh, that uh, that freshly boiled corn of cob at the end of August. Right. You know, everyone yeah. knows exactly that's, what that, that tastes like.
0: That's very good, yeah. Yeah, right. Oh, everyone yeah.
1: knows exactly what that tastes like. And sometimes you can actually get that sweetness inside. Rye. Um, rye brings, rye is a really interesting grain. And it was the Germans that started uh, introducing rye into the corn mash in the barrel down in the Kentucky area mm-hmm. um, to develop what we now know as sort of like the common bourbon mash bill. Rye brings, <clears throat> excuse me, a couple different flavors. One of them is sort of a um, a uh, herbal spiciness to it. Anybody who's ever had any good, really good, like Russian rye bread, yeah. you get it immediately. You right. get, oh, that's rye. Right, right. Um, aquavit, which is distilled from rye, for example, or actually sure. distilled from, not from rye but from um, Car- caraway, from caraway, yeah, yeah. right, yeah. Um, which has a similar very flavor, much so yeah, very much um, so, and um, so that brings that. It also brings a nice florality to it, and uh, depending on the type of rye that you're using, um, and then how it, you know, how it interacts in the barrel. I always think of it as sort of like a um, a little bit of the the uh, the Teeth on a Crosscut Saw.
0: Hmm.
1: You know, uh, I always get that feeling, you know, teeth on a crosscut saw. It, they're not really big, but they're, right. they're just enough, and it kind of has that—it gives shape inside mm. of your mouth. You know, that's for me.
0: So this, this is what the book is good for. Yeah. You, you take these descriptors, yeah. and you, you read the book, and you—, you Come home on a nice cold night. You drink and you you do your own flights with your friends and 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 take it apart. That's
1: exactly Uh, what we're encouraging. I I, I love it. Yeah.
0: Um. I. You know what also is really good is um, your your thing on how to taste whiskey. Mm. Something nobody ever thinks about. People Mm. think you just you know, Mm. put in your mouth and you taste what you taste. But it's really olfactory and, uh, what you smell, what your nose picks up, and and why the alcohol is so important.
1: Yeah. Um. And so contrasted the wine, for uh, example. Um, where you've got you know maybe tops fourteen sixteen percent of uh, alcohol in the glass, putting your nose into a um a, a bola grande you know um, uh, essentially you're using that type of a glass in order to um, uh, to gather up all of the esters that are in there and focus it right, right. toward you right You want the opposite effect of that in whiskey because you're dealing with minimum forty percent alcohol, yeah. So that whiskey is streaming out. I mean, that ethanol is streaming out of that glass, right? And if you pour whiskey into a small room and have people walk in, that they'll—it's going to be all over the room, yeah. Now their nose immediately gets used to it. That's something called anosmia, mm-hmm. and anosmia takes place is essentially a um, temporary dulling or shutting down of your olfactory system. The COVID. Uh, Covid was uh, an uh was an anosmic nightmare. nightmare <laughs> right. We're not going to go down
0: that road. We're going out of the you, you had some great descriptions of lafroy in your book, yeah. Um, yeah. And, and some of the scotches. <laughs> and I remember Peter Carus is telling me that. Laphroaig, uh during Prohibition, which we'll talk about a little bit, uh, was they at customs, they would pull it aside and they would open it up and smell it and go, oh my God, no, put the cork, that's got to be iodine. And that, they would pass it off like can't they had to admit they, they can't. Who, would, who they would can't, take that shit? They can't not have wanted
1: to make it like that, <laughs> could they?
0: <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, it's, it's, but your book has some great descriptors. And then you have this um, something I never thought of, and you called it, call it the blender trick. Where you would take a little bit of the scotch or the whiskey and put it in your cup, it in your hand, and, and then smell. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that's just a, an entire different uh, set does. of like olfactory notes that you're yeah. picking up.
1: Yeah, at first, um, uh, what you do is uh, you pour a little bit in your hand, you rub your palms together, and, you, and then you turn your palms back up just to allow that little bit of ethanol to evaporate Mm -hmm. and then cup them to your face and you're going to get essentially the essence of the whiskey Mm -hmm. what a blender uh what an evaluator has to do is bring that liquor down to somewhere between 20 and 26 Mm percent right otherwise they're going if they start at 9 a.m they're going home at noon because you're (laughs) you're shot you're done
0: yeah yeah. people don't realize that even if you're smelling you're still taking alcohol in What's that? You're, even if you're smelling, you're
1: still, taking you're still in. alcohol Sure, your yeah, system, It's small, right? yes, yeah. very, very tiny amounts. Yeah. But you, right. So one of the things that they'll do is, let, let's say, for example, they've been nosing a whiskey for a while, and there's still something uh, that's in there, and they really can't get to it yet, and it's just confounding them. One of the things is you do the rub, and then you bring it to your nose, and then you rub your hands again. Right. Huh. And... Then you bring them back to your nose and you're going to get right down to the grain and you will pick up. The barley, you'll pick up corn from that. You'll pick up everything.
0: That's a great tip. I've yeah. never heard yeah. that. It's it's and really and it makes sense because you're adding heat when you rub your hands together. Exactly. So you're like, wow. Yep.
1: There you go. That's yeah. a great. tip. Yeah. T- I'm going to try that. And and, and yeah. then all the alcohol's gone. Right. So now the 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 ethanol has been dissipated completely. Now so now it's just you and what's left yeah. of those. Yeah,
0: that's that's so yeah. cool. Um, I love the, the note in your book. You're talking about like somebody rolling their eyes at the end of the bar because you put a drop of water, and put yeah. a little water, and and you're like. No attention to, to the knucklehead, to the at, the knucklehead the at the end of the bar. He's a knucklehead.
1: He's a knucklehead. Uh, um, yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. Cool. Like um, this glass right here, for example, that I brought, and I'm gonna actually that glass is for you. That's oh, your thank glass. You. Oh, thank you. It's called a neat glass. It is my glass of choice. And neat stands for naturally engineered aroma technology. Oh wow. So that's if you totally look cool. If you look at the way that this is actually um, shaped, it's got a big bulbous area right here. Mm-hmm. And for those who can't see this it actually looks like a spittoon or Uh, a cuspidor yeah right or a little flower pot right but essentially what you've got is a divergent lip up here so the lip goes out like a martini glass and essentially because there is a different specific gravity between ethanol and the congeners and Mm -hmm. water that's in there the ethanol is going to come out off the edges of this which means you can stick your nose Mm-hmm. Yeah, directly in that, and not get the burn. Yeah, that's, and that's the whole point—not to get the burn. Just absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and my name is signed on the bottom of those too. Oh so you wow! Can see oh that.
0: Yeah. hello. So <laughs> I'm going to tell one quick story. You you said the first time you taught a class, or you could put up in front of people, and you, you were kind of just total bullshitting you. And by the way, fuck you and your are built for radio voice other people listening on John sounds like a woman compared yeah. to Robin. Uh, you have a great voice. Um you you're saying like you, you made some story about like they used to piss in the cask or something and cuz you're a storyteller, you've had a one man show. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean it's, it's my origin
1: story of whiskey. Um yeah. I was when I was an actor here in New York City. Um I was hired to impersonate a Scottish distiller. <laughs> <laughs> now, no one ever ever heard of what a distiller was here. It right. was in the nineteen eighties, yeah. and, and I had to ask. So, what's single malt Scotch whiskey? Because I was going to taste four of them <laughs> <laughs> with a bunch of swells up on Park Avenue. Yeah, and I remember the tasting. Uh, in, I mean, I you know I, I crammed for the week, you know, with pamphlets and, and right. magazines, and. At one point, because I was an actor and I was a stand-up comic, and I know how to work an audience, and I, I know when I've got the audience, I sure. I figure, oh, I've got these people in the palm, of yeah. my hand. <laughs> and and then I just let it rip, and I just made the most obscene story about the beginning of Macallan whiskey in the in the fifteenth century, and barley farmers and urinating into the vat in order <laughs> to make it germinate, and, and people were going, well. It, this must be true because we believed him all right.
0: this time. Plus you had the accent.
1: And I had the accent you and worked, in the accent. Yeah. I, I you worked the accent here yeah. and you, you know, a little bit of facts and all of a yeah. sudden you had an accent. <laughs> <laughs> That's,
0: okay. That's a really good story. Um, let's, so let's talk about American whiskey. I mean the real birth of American whiskey starts with the Scots and the Irish in the woods of Pennsylvania. You're back, your yeah. hometown yeah, yeah, pretty yeah. much, right? right. yeah. Um, mm. and, uh, and, and there's bourbon legacy Uh, so we there's tons of talk about Pappy Van Winkle yeah um I've never had it, yeah. but there are stories of people buying empty bottles oh for the obvious reason, to do counterfeit, or not to do counterfeit, so when the people they hate come over their house, they can fill it with whatever.
1: And just just to have Pappy in, in, yeah. in front of As them. As a matter of fact, I even talk about you know in, in, in uh, Class 10, which is whiskey at home, yeah. um, uh, and all of the different things that you buy, like those ridiculous whiskey rocks and things like that, and I said, well, who would want to buy a decanter? Because why would you want to rob yourself of the satisfaction? Action of putting a Pappy Van Winkle in a decanter and, yeah. and missing the looks of envy and jealousy yep. on the face of your guests, right. um, <clears throat> but yeah, uh, Pappy, um, uh, there's an interesting story about how that got there. But it's essentially uh, Pappy Van Winkle was all about um, the law of supply and demand. Mm-hmm. Um, the Stitzel Weller Distillery that he owned um, had shut down uh, because there was a whiskey drought uh, in the in the whole world for right. about 25, 30 years from the 1970s and uh, 1960s into the 1990s. Hmm. No one drank whiskey anywhere. Whiskey production, gone. And so distilleries were closing right and left everywhere. Out of fashion? Why? Because uh, we were all drinking vodka, yeah. Because right. okay. it was those yeah. girls, you know, looking for sex in the city with nice Jimmy Choo's, you know. <laughs> 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 yeah, drinking Cosmos. Right? And drinking Cosmos. Sure. And, yeah. and yeah, and then, you know, uh, gin and rum and what we thought was tequila but was actually Corvo Gold— yeah, you know, right, and um, so yeah, we had gone and wine, right, right. So we had gone for the whole lighter spirits thing, um, and whiskey was an old man's drink. It was left uh, on the bar with old men and old women, and mm. so it was completely forgotten about. So these, um, uh, uh, pappy's um, uh, son and grandson. Um, um, the Van Winkles um, <clears throat> essentially captured those barrels, and uh, eventually you have to take them out of the barrel because it, the, the barrel will just ruin them, and you'll just keep losing
0: the angel. Sh- the evaporation. Yeah, the angel, the right, evaporation. Yeah. yeah, right.
1: So they just put them in like steel containers or carboys and just let them sit.
0: So basically, they had the historic library of old uh, bourbon yeah. that they were sitting on.
1: Yeah, and, but and yeah. and and just, they, I mean, they didn't know. Well, if we just wait ten right. more yeah. years, no yeah. one knew. Yeah. Um, so Trey Zoller, who created the the wonderful Jefferson's brand, mm-hmm. which is again uh, another, uh, uh, it's a brand made of blends of other whiskeys. Right. But he was buying old, old whiskeys from different distilleries in in uh, Kentucky, and he and he said, "Me and Julian Van Winkle, we used to, you know, we'd be at a whiskey festival. We couldn't give this stuff away." Wow. We couldn't give this That's stuff crazy. away. We couldn't sell the barrels to anybody. Yeah. So
0: put in perspective. I mean, there, there, are people who get like one bottle. There are retailers that can buy two bottles. They don't put it on the shelf. Yeah. They usually flip it at auction, yeah.
1: or it's already prepaid for. By already pre-paid their, for their best um right. you know, Their best. So they're, what's
0: you know, a bottle of pappy go for now? If you I can get, it. I don't like, even. I don't even. Know. I've heard like a thousand dollars, and I've heard them selling for it's, three n- thousand dollars. Like, n- yeah, north of that. Yeah, yeah and right. you can get. Well,
1: it. It's the twenty-three. So they got the twenty-three, the twenty-one, the fifteen. Mm-hmm. And then there's like the Van Winkle family stuff, like that. What's her ten? What's interesting? Um, so they're wheat they're weeded bourbons. Mm-hmm. So instead of rye being the second grain in the mash bill, which is the standard Kentucky mash bill, most right. Kentucky whiskeys <laughs> are rye bourbons. Right. Um. In this case, it's a it's a weeded bourbon. So it imparts a, a sort of a soft sweetness to it, a, a more of a fruitiness. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that goes well with the sweetness of the corn and um, <clears throat> so what it is it's a it's a good whiskey it's a very good whiskey it was a well made whiskey and that's all there is to say about Pappy Van Winkle.
0: okay yeah. yeah no, it's that's just, all
1: there is to hey, well, say well I think you, yeah.
0: you you hit it on the on the yeah. head with the supply and demand issue yeah the more you tell someone I, you can't have it you the, can't get the, it the more they want it. I'll pay more Sure, I'll double course. it I'll yeah, triple right. it and uh, yeah I've also just yeah. like I'm sure if you put Something else in front of them, they would just be just as happy. Well, they are,
1: you know, uh, and and actually, when I blind taste people on them, they have no idea what they're that they're not tasting poppy wine So there you go.
0: Yeah, I, I um, I, this whole you know temperance movement that happened in the prohibition that kind of killed a lot of things. I as a story, um, P.T. Barnum. I, I read a great book by Susan Cheever on drinking history in America, and said P.T. Barnum came from nowhere, uh, was really bright and ambitious, and started to build his fortune and started hanging out with the upper crust thinking he was going to learn something from them and he said saw basically a bunch of drunks yeah and so he was so appalled that he went around the country speaking about temperance like and not of, like not drinking at all which i thought was a really interesting like side note to like this history of yeah, and particularly P.T. Barnum. You yeah. think he you would think want people yeah, exactly. Should face lining up course, to see his you know, bad what, shows.
1: What was, what was he famous for? Um, um, the, the, the phrase what? You know, there's a sucker born every minute. Yeah, right. Right. Um, yeah, well, it was interesting. Um, uh, if you read uh, The Last Call by Daniel Okrent, which okay. is maybe the, the ultimate book about the prohibition okay. and the temperance movement that caused it. Um, the temperance movement actually had some strange bedfellows. Really? like Yeah, like Booker T. Washington and the KKK. Oh, wow. Yeah, they were all for it, all for completely different reasons.
0: Okay, definitely tying into religion here, right? Huh? It's got to be something religious.
1: Well, temperance yeah. was yeah. actually all about um, – it, it didn't start in America. Yeah. I mean, temperance closed down distilleries in Ireland yeah. uh, all through the 19th century. It started uh, – it was, it was two things. Uh, it was the, the – the, what they saw as the dissolution of the family,
0: mm. number one, yep.
1: and uh, lack of productivity. Right. So it's capitalism and uh, and religion, all at once. Uh, and one essentially two. what we're happening is like, you know, uh, 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 you were worked to death in the new uh, manufacturing economy because you were no longer, you know, um, uh, going by the seasons of the sun and everything like that. Uh, you're working for the man. Right. And the man's right. going to work the fuck out of you. Right. I right. come from Pittsburgh, so everybody, yeah. you know, was, you know, with Andy Carnegie, you know. Yeah. So, um so, the man's gonna work the fuck out of you. And what are you gonna do to actually, you know, kill the pain? You're gonna go drinking and you're gonna go drinking at the bars that are actually owned by the people who make the whiskey and they're gonna give you a free lunch. To keep you in there all night, right. and you're going to essentially just get rid of your entire uh, um, paycheck in there and then come home and then, you know, beat your wife, kick the dog, and yeah. abuse the kids. And so there was that whole thing that was going on. Meanwhile, back in the um, in the factories, um, you know, you're drunk, you know, you're incompetent, you, know, you can't—
0: You so lost a hand, a finger, lo- a f- exactly. foot. Exactly, yeah. sure,
1: yeah, right. Yeah. yeah, And not that the factory owner cared, but, you know, that was productivity lost. Right. So, yeah, so with all of these really interesting— and, of course, you know, religion gets uh, stuck in there. The,
0: the Puritanism and all that kind
1: of And the of WCTU, yeah. And, yeah. you know, and, you know, uh, Lizzie Borden. I mean, not Lizzie Borden, but um, uh, Carrie Nation because they both carried axes. Okay, right. <laughs> <laughs> I got them mixed up. <laughs> uh,
0: so, let's talk a little bit about um, – <clears throat> uh, we're, we're doing a huge overview. I have to tell you, like, you have to pick this book up. You will – you won't put it down, and uh, you know, fall winter coming. This would be the best gift you've ever given. The packaging oh, of the that's book so is nice also Thank you. Oh, it's so good. Um, Canadian whiskey, CC Club, the the uh, and Secrms and and Waka. Like, let's talk about Canada for a minute, because they uh, they took over and dominated the market for a, some time as well. Right? I'm
1: really upset about Canadian whiskey because nobody knows about it, and they <laughs> need to discover it.
0: Because Is there a perception that Canadian Club is just, like you mentioned earlier, the back bar for drunks? Is that, I mean, I'm not or, qu- questioning the quality, I'm or, saying the perception. Or even worse, the perception is that it's,
1: and I hope all the Canadian whiskey makers will forgive me for saying this, but <clears throat> they know that um, it's perceived by many people as brown vodka. Oh, wow. And oh. there's a reason for that, oh. because um, in the middle of the 20th century, um, it was, uh, Seagram's Seagrams was probably the most powerful company in the world at one time. They were actually bigger than um, uh, uh, GM.
0: Right, the Seagrams building. Se- the, well, the, the Seagrams building was the, re- was the result of right. it. Right, yeah. yeah, yeah.
1: But they had a um, they had um, uh, distilling and bottling operations on uh, f- what four of the seven continents. Okay? Wow. Yeah, I mean they wow. they were global. They were massive, and they essentially they and National and Hiram Walker. Um. Pretty much controlled everything. So everything was done from a very, very high-level corporate um, perspective. And so when you're at a corporate perspective, you're essentially bottom-lining this entire thing. and It's all about products. How many different products can we put out? Now, to Sam Bronfman's great credit, he was an innovator in making sure quality was always number one. That was right. number one thing. Right, and Sam Brothman is the uh, is, is the guy who bought the Seagrams from the Seagrams family in the middle of Prohibition, and then started getting a lot of that whiskey ready, to, and he just sold to agents. and I don't know what they did with it; yeah. I have no idea. And I, of course, the agents are taking it over to uh, you know across the the lakes and over the rivers. Sure. And same thing with uh, Hir- uh, Hiram Walker. Right. You know, he was in Windsor.
0: Did, in, <clears> in your <clears throat> book, you talk about the. Um, uh, Canadian whiskey boom happening post Civil War because all the distilleries were shut down and there was really nothing yeah, available. The su- the so the supply then, chains yeah.
1: were 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 shot here and and, and Canadian whiskey with the Guterum and Worts um, and um, <clears throat> excuse me uh, and the early Seagrams right. when Joseph Seagrams and Sons was actually started. Oh my goodness, yeah, it was it was fantastic and it rivaled Irish whiskey. Wow, but it was closer, so it had an advantage. Irish oh, yeah, whiskey, right. sure. Irish whiskey won the day in France, and then they lost it.
0: Yeah, huh. so
1: when the phylloxera plague hit France, and brandy is wiped out as a result, what's the replacement for that? Irish whiskey was wow. the first to go in and, and establish dominance, and, and then yeah. they lost it to the Scots. Yeah,
0: uh, well, I mean, <coughs> Irish whiskey, which we segue into, is was a global powerhouse. Now it has a two percent share, yeah. uh, a two percent share of the market. You have two world wars, Irish independence, yeah. Uh, Prohibition, I mean, like, they yeah. would just decimated, right?
1: It was. The, other, the, the fourth one was the stubbornness of the Irish whiskey makers uh, in insisting um, that traditionally they always sold it by the barrel directly to the saloon or the publican or the hotel. Therefore, they couldn't guarantee quality any longer because it always got stepped on right. by the time it got there. Sure. Right, so there was a combination of all those four factors. They went from about two hundred distilleries at the early part of the twentieth century down to two. Wow, in eighty years—that's
0: some stubborn Irish. That's shit, some stubborn which I know Irish. very well. And, and, <laughs> and, and yeah, and
1: some bad luck, and yeah. just you put, yeah. placing your you know placing your bets on the wrong numbers as well. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> they um, and in eighty seven, uh, the third distillery was opened up. That was uh, Cooley mm-hmm. as an independent distillery. And, um, but now
0: is it blowing up again?
1: It's blowing up. It's now, even though it's only 2% of the market now, it's actually one of the fastest growing spirits because now we've got over, I think, close to 50 now distilleries in Ireland. And most of them have a lot of stuff that is actually quite ripe by now and ready to actually be shipped. Who's the
0: uh, the MFA guy, uh, McGregor? Who's got his own whiskey? Yeah, too, right? but I mean, like,
1: essentially, what he's yeah. doing is he's buying barrels Put and, it, and yeah. he's putting his name on it. Yeah, yeah. which is it, it's common; it's, it's yeah. done all the time. Yeah, yeah right. Yeah, um, probably he's getting it from Middleton like everybody else is. <laughs>
0: yeah, uh, yeah. And, you know, it's really funny. I was um, I was looking at like where a lot of bourbons come from, and they all come out of the same factory. There's, like, one factory that pumps out 40 different labels, and it comes from the same exact source.
1: It's, uh, it's actually, and uh, interestingly enough, it's not in Kentucky. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's in Lawrenceburg, Indiana. Right. And it's, it's, just... a, it's a former Seagram's distillery. Yeah. yeah, oh. it, And it was bought um, by Seagram's um, uh, it, right after Prohibition. Uh, and it was the mainstay of all of their whiskey making and their alcohol making. For, you know, um, it was a massive, massive factory. Mm-hmm. Um, when Seagram's went belly up in, like, 99, 2000, oh. um, the um, all of their assets were out there, you know, ready to be gobbled up. And, you know, Coca-Cola and Vivendi and Sony and everybody was, like, swirling around like buzzards and, and started picking them off. and. Someone picked up this old alcohol fam, uh, factory that happened to have, like, over 100,000 barrels of really Shh. beautiful fucking whiskey wow. in the warehouses, right? Wow. And, well, what do we do with this? And all of a sudden, here comes the craft movement. Gee, wait a minute. I want to make some whiskey. Ah, uh, yeah, but, you know, um, that's going to take some time in a barrel. What do I do to keep the, 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 the lights on? Oh, I'll go buy some barrels from that factory. I'll just call it my stuff. Right. High West.
0: Yeah. Okay.
1: <clears throat> Bullet.
0: Oh wow. Okay. Right. Redemption. Yeah.
1: Um, Templeton. Uh, the and and, and and the list went on and on. But
0: that that source eventually dries up. But eventually the brand is it's built anyway. So now you can always they second source exactly. It. Yeah. They they
1: okay. it did their job of building the brand. They right. got they got product out there. They put their name on it. Um, it was well received. They went out there and hustled it, and uh, and and then the stuff is superior. Right. It's a very unusual type of rye, and it's essentially t- set the, the palate mm-hmm. for the modern rye drinker. Rye had fallen off the, the edge of the earth um, after Prohibition. No one ever thought about making rye anymore. Right. Um, which, is when we get to this, our last whiskey here, we'll talk about that. So what happened Let's was— Let's pour it. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> right. So what happened was—what um, what do, do you have in there? Um, and one, mm-hmm. i tell you what, why don't you pour a little water in there? And, oh, sure. Um, and so we'll get the – because we want to kind of get as close to um, – we want to get as close to uh, zero as possible. Actually, get it all okay, – yeah, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, there you go. Um, all right. So let's let, – tell me the funniest fucking story while selling or teaching uh, about scotch. Oh, <laughs> oh, you, I, I, I'm, you, I'm sure you have a hundred we'll do another episode Yeah, about <laughs> funny stories while teaching whiskey um, or selling because there's some crusty old fucking retailers I, I know you're fighting for shelf placements and you know retail space on a shelf in any store and like because you've done it all you've you've sold you've had your rolly bag in every yeah. state in the United yeah you know, that's every, actually what every, makes me a little country. bit
1: different than other whiskey writers because yeah. I was actually in uh, I was wow. in the mix yeah I yeah. was in the mix um Gee, I don't know. I have to think about that. We'll talk about this, and something will come sure. up.
0: What are we drinking? This is <clears throat> okay, so, so different. All right, this so is this like... is
1: so different for a reason. This is actually, um, wow. this is Leopold Brothers Three Chamber Rye Whiskey, and the <sighs> reason this is so different okay. is because Todd Leopold, who I consider, you know, maybe one of the great <clears throat> geniuses of of uh, modern distilling. Um, Todd Leopold researched, he came across this thing in an old, because all he does is pour through like old, crazy, boring ass documents. And he finds this little nugget of something in 1907 when these guys from the tax department were sent out to do a survey of all these distilleries. And he sees this three chamber still what the hell is a three-chamber still, he says. Right. Right. This sends him on this quest. He brings in guys like Chuck Cowdery. He's a really well-known and, and, and respected bourbon writer. And Dave wonderich another well-known and respected drinks writer. And they find that this three-chamber still was how rye was made in the 19th and early 20th centuries. Wow. In some cases, they were made out of wood. And it's not, and here, if you look on the back of the bottle, yeah. you'll see. So what he done is he went to a, a still maker in Kentucky called Vendome, and they do all these stills for everybody, and they've been around for 107 years. And he says, <clears throat> they said, We have no idea what you're talking about. We've never seen one. So he finds some architectural plans, and together they create, recreate the three-chamber still. It's essentially three pot stills on top of each other, and it's a very, very manually... Uh, made machine, so you just don't set it and forget it. You actually have to be present there, like every 20 minutes, you have to be turning knobs and valves <laughs> and things like that to get the whiskey to drop from the top pot to the second pot down to the uh, bottom pot. What comes out of there is essentially we're drinking maybe the closest thing to what historical rye tastes like and it's earthy and it's, it's rich. It's earthy, it smells like it's, them in the bakery when the bakery. Where fermenting. Exactly. Um, and it's got umami in it and all of that savoriness and it. it's crap. like Oh yeah. Hmm. Man. Mm-hmm. Wow. It's like there's nothing else on the market like it.
0: No, I've never had from, anything like from from the
1: nose through the palate all the way to the finish. It's a complete crazy
0: ride. Yeah, there's a like a baked bread earthiness, caraway, but then there's a sweet cinnamon, note, that, that sweetness jumps on. and cinnamon yeah.
1: on the end of that. Yeah. Wow, there's so much going on here, and it's so different from every other rye. Now, what's interesting is the MGP rye that I was talking about, the big factory. Mm in uh, Indiana, they make what's called a Pennsylvania-style rye, which is how rye actually got made back then, with a mash bill of 95% rye and 5% malted barley. And that pretty much set the palate for the modern rye drinker. But then this comes along. That
0: is so fucking good.
1: Can you find that anywhere? Yeah, it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, again... Um, it's a very small still. this is bottle number three thousand five hundred seventy eight out of only fifty two eighty right okay um this this was the first bottling though, and this was like four years and a ha- and six months or something like that so I think he's trying to get enough to put out um like every six months uh, a different bottling of this you know and then of course hold some back so that it can get older and older um but it's it's just brilliant you know it's 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 brilliantly made whiskey and it's his it's your drinking history yeah. and it that's it, what's so fabulous it, it, about it,
0: it. it feels like it so yeah. I'd like to talk about Two that I've had recently, and you're good friends with Peter Curry. Yeah. um, The Black Bull, Mm. uh, I think it's the 21 that doesn't sherry casks Mm -hmm. because we're going to talk about wood. And that was one of those like this, it just stops you dead in your tracks and you see different colors. You're like, I've never had anything like these sherry casks, and it's old, old, old casks and old barrels. And I mean, they do some pretty special stuff there.
1: Well, Duncan Taylor are fabulous blenders. Um, you know, they've got, you know, uh, you and Shand, when he revived that company, really, you know, turned it into a real force for modern whisking. They're not afraid of blending. And blending is the heart and soul of Scotch whiskey. Ninety plus percent of all the whiskey that comes out of Scotland comes out in the form of a blended Scotch. Right. Mm-hmm. Johnny Walker, Cheva Stewart's, J&B, Cuddy Sark, all of right. the blended Scotch. Single malts make up a very small part of that, okay? So people typically think of blends as inferior. Um, and again, like Canadian whiskey, they went through their bad phase when they got overly produced, and mm-hmm. uh, and they delivered zero on flavor. And so people, when the revival came back um, in the early 2000s and late 90s, it didn't take, except for Johnny Walker Blue, that was actually specifically uh, marketed for um, a high-end um, uh, ultra audience. Right. Um, everything else just got laid and you know, just got passed up, and single malts became the sexy uh, guy to follow. So, what Black Bull does is really revives, you know, like Compass Box, hmm. revives that what the art of blending really is. And I always describe it as this. Um, if I'm taking a blended malt, which is what we have with the Luthera, hmm. I'm grabbing that beautiful red, that beautiful green, and that beautiful yellow, and I'm making a fourth color. Sure, yeah. When I'm, take, when I'm making a blended whiskey, I'm going to add a little bit of white in there, and mm-hmm. that's going to actually then broaden my palette even more. And if I don't add too much white, right, which will wash it out, and that's essentially the grain whiskey component of hmm. blend, Of a blended scotch, so it's part grain whiskey, part malt whiskey. The modern, uh, the modern blended scotch whiskies tend to put too much grain whiskey in there because grain whiskey is easier to make. Uh, It's it's less expensive.
0: I say cost effective, yeah.
1: And it's a cost effective. It's a yeah, right. And so what happened, you know, during the, the latter part of the 20th century is, you know, all of those blended scotch whiskies got more and more boring because they were upping the grain level and dropping uh, the malt okay. level, gotcha. right? What they're doing at Black Bullet, at, uh, at Duncan Taylor, is they're bringing that back to kind of like historic levels again, which is at a 50-50. Ah, okay. So they're using fifty percent malts and fifty percent grain, but they're also being very, very particular about which grain barrels that they choose. Now in Scotland, so in bourbon, you know, uh, by law, you can use that barrel one time, and then you can't use it again for bourbon. Right, right. But you can sell it to all the other countries and all the other whiskey makers that aren't going by the bourbon rule. Mm-hmm. So you sell them to Scotland, and, and in Scotland and Japan, they'll use them two, three, four, five, sometimes five times. So think of a tea uh, um, um, uh, a tea bag mm-hmm. and five cups of hot water. By the time you get to the fifth, you know you pretty much don't have that much tea left. Same thing with grain whiskey. And typically what, they'll, what big companies will do, they'll put all their grain whiskey in these fourth-fill and fifth-fill barrels and just figure, you know what, it, it, it's going to come out in the blend anyway. And we're making a bottom-of-the-shelf right. blend here, so it doesn't really matter. So it's choosing the right grain whiskey ah, barrels, right. the ones that are, have active oak in them, um, the ones when, you know, I mean, some, like when Compass Box used to release, um, releases Hedonism, which is a blended grain. I've often described it as sex in a bottle. (laughs) It's it'll it'll take pappy down. Wow, for sure, you know, as a grain whiskey. Yeah, so that's what they're doing there, and uh, and they're using these really rich, beautiful old um, uh, sherry barrels. You know, yeah, it was spectacular. Yeah, spectacular whiskey. Um, We
0: can't leave without talking about Japanese whiskey. Yeah, um, and and talking about Peter Carey one more time. Said to me. he said, what's really interesting is, like, if you go, and he's been to Japan many times, probably like you have. Mm-hmm. He said, if you took a distiller from Scotland from 200 years ago, brought him back to life, and you dropped him in a distillery in Japan, he would know exactly he, what to do. Exactly. Said, if you drop him into a modern distillery, he'd be fucking totally he lost. He would, yeah, right, he said, yeah. Japan has adopted the yeah. old historic way that yeah. we used to make uh, in, in
1: both of the major yeah. distilleries, so the yeah. two major distilleries in Japan, one is Suntory, mm-hmm. and the other one is Nikka. Mm-hmm. On two sides of the island, and they are actually, they come from a two completely different mindsets as well. But in what they have in common is exactly that. Yeah. They are old school whiskey makers. Right. Old school. Now, it was Masataka Tekatsuru, who was sent to Scotland from Japan to learn Scottish ways and Scottish distilling, comes back, works with the founder of uh, Suntory, um, Shinjiro Torii, to create Yamazaki, the distillery. But the first product that they uh, created together was not very well received. Um, and so they sort of had a parting of ways. And then after his contract was over, he and his w- Scottish wife, Rita, moved up to Hokkaido. And right. that's where they started Nika. And both of these distilleries are almost like the uh, the Toyota and Honda of, oh, of that's Japanese a good way to put whiskey, it. yeah.
0: Well, it's it's crazy because w- w- that um I mean, th- there was a, a famous whiskey critic that you talk about in your book that called uh, it was th- one of these Japanese whiskeys the the best whiskey in the world, which all of a sudden the floodgates gates open.
1: Right. That was prior to that um like I think I mentioned in the book of uh, the um the Japanese whiskey ambassador was like the Maytag repairman. he was the <laughs> loneliest guy in the world. Right. I stood yeah. used to stand next to him at whiskey festivals and I had like a blended scotch whiskey and and then he had Japanese whiskey, so people are walking by us looking like What's going on over there? Yeah. You know, <laughs> like <laughs> Japanese whiskey and blends. I don't yeah. want to have anything to do with them. You know, table for one. Yeah, really, exactly. Yeah. Uh, but um, but uh, yeah. Uh, this this review came out in I think 2010. Uh, it was a 22 year old um, sherry barreled Yamazaki, yeah. and for the first time. Uh, Americans discovered um, uh, Japanese whiskey, and then boom, it was all over there. It went there there. there out of
0: Pappy, really. You can't find a lot of it.
1: Well, those Uh, old ones you can't find. And so, but they are being... I was just actually at a a, a tasting um, the other night for Suntory, and I was at a tasting recently for for Nika. Hmm. And they are coming up with different ways. I remember in Japan... They drink whiskey the way we drink wine and beer in the United States. Hmm. It is a food accompaniment, right. and it is drank with everything. However, always in a diluted state. Right. So they're you know, diluting it mostly with soda water in a classic mizuwari, which is a, a, a just essentially a highball. Right. Um, fruit juice, um, green tea, you know anything that they'll dilute it with, but it's drank all the time. So their consumption of whiskey is really, really different than ours. Huh. Yeah, you go to any Lawson's or Seven Eleven anywhere in Japan, and you will see shelf after shelf after shelf after shelf of uh, blended Scotch whiskey, uh, blended Japanese whiskeys. Oh, cool! Yeah, very well,
0: cool. Well, Robin, we are on uh, that part of the show. Yeah. Okay, where it's just uh, uh, God has come and he, and he spoke to you, and I'll, I'll definitely have a little bit more of uh, yeah. Uh
1: I have a little bit of this, this three-chamber here. Yes.
0: And, yeah. and uh, God comes to you, and uh, just to entertain you, he does his version of a Scottish accent, which I'm <laughs> sure is pretty good. <laughs> he says, Robin, thank you for, like, educating uh, the world on the water of life, whiskey. <laughs> yeah. And so I'm yeah. going to give you a gift. I'll okay. give you one last day on the oh. planet so you can decide what you're going to eat and drink and listen to as you float off into the angel share, <laughs> into the clouds. So what are you eating, drinking, and listening to? Right now? Yeah, as you float off.
1: Oh, okay. Oh, what am I do- Oh, as, you, okay. as your last That's very day. interesting. Yeah. Oh, okay. So I think the whiskey that I'm um, drinking. Okay. Um, It comes back from Compass Box again, and it was one of the early iterations of something called Flaming Heart.
0: Okay, Okay. Flaming Heart.
1: Now, they do a yearly release of that, but um, this one actually goes back to like 2006, 2007 that I've got two bottles of, and and that would probably be my floating on the,
0: yeah. Okay, and what are you eating?
1: And what am I eating? Um, Boy, that's a tough one. Um, I'm going to eat something that my grandmother uh, cooked um, because my grandmother was Syrian, so she was my situ. Okay. And uh, what she made was this beautiful Syrian bread, which is kind of like pita bread, only it's raised a little bit bit and softer and chewier and on that i've got some syrian cheese called Chancliche, which would give any stinky cheese from france a run for its money i love it yeah
0: i love it And what piece of music what song as you uh, oh, load off man. with um, your dram
1: i tell you what right now um the song that i'm most you know, infatuated with because I'm learning this on my guitar uh-huh. is an old song by The Faces, okay, called Ooh La La. Ah, you know, I, I, I wish that I knew all I knew now when I was younger. I wish that I knew all I know now when I was stronger. Ooh La La. Ah, yeah.
0: Well, that's, that's remember so, that that is so awesome. Um, I, this has been a joy. Um, I really, you know, I never have somebody on and don't look at their book. Um, And I will never promote a book that I don't believe in. This book, uh, I've been in this business for 25 years, and this book really just the wow factor on the history, the stories, the suggestions, um, and the insights. Like I've never seen before, I've picked up many books before, um, but the insights are just incredible. And um, the Complete Whiskey Course, a comprehensive tasting school in 10 classes, Uh, it's a must-have. And uh, how do people find you, Robin?
1: Uh, they can find me uh, on my website, www.RobinRobinsonLLC.com. In my real life, actually, I'm a sales and marketing consultant for the whiskey industry. Um, and then this stuff here I do is actually the fun stuff.
0: Yeah, this, yeah, is, this yeah. is fun. So that's well, how they can find me. Thank you for being on Drinking on the hey, Job man, Podcast, D O T J a terrific time. Yeah, cool. Thank you so much. Thanks, man. Cheers. Okay, cheers. Thanks for the whiskey. Yeah. Thanks again for listening. Don't forget to check us out at dotjpodcast.com. Until then, I'll see you at the bar.